So Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and starting reading at verse 1. This is God's word. Then I returned and considered all the oppression that is done under the sun. And look, the tears of the oppressed, but they have no comforter. On the side of their oppressors there is power, but they have no comforter. Therefore, I praised the dead who were already dead, more than the living who are still alive. Yet better than both is he who has never existed, who has not seen the evil work that is done under the sun. Again, I saw that for all toil and every skillful work, a man is envied by his neighbour. This also is vanity and grasping for the wind. The fool folds his hands and consumes his own flesh. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. Then I returned and saw vanity under the sun. There is one alone without a companion. He has neither son nor brother. Yet there is no end to all his labours, nor is his eye satisfied with riches. But he never asks, for whom do I toil and deprive myself of good? This also is vanity and a grave misfortune. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their labour. For if they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no one to help him up. Again, If two lie down together, they will keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not quickly broken. Better a poor and wise youth than an old and foolish king who will be admonished no more, for he comes out of prison to be king, although he was born poor in his kingdom. I saw... All the living who walk under the sun. They were with the second youth who stands in his place. There was no end of all the people over whom he was made king. Yet those who come afterward will not rejoice in him. Surely this also is vanity and grasping for the wind. Amen. And we thank God that he blesses us when we read his truth. Well, let's come before God now in prayer and ask for his help to understand this chapter of scripture. Our good and gracious God, we praise you for who you are and we thank you that you have spoken to us, that you have revealed yourself to us in the scriptures of the Old and New Testaments. We thank you for this book of Ecclesiastes and we pray, O God, that you would help us today to see the gospel on these pages to understand what it teaches us about Jesus and about who we are as his church on earth. I pray, O God, for your help today, the help of the Holy Spirit. We pray that you would fill us so that we may understand what you're teaching us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, One of the things 
folks, that I love about Scripture is that it is totally and entirely honest. There are no back doors with the Bible. At every point we get the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. And this is wonderful, isn't it? When we read passages about God being with us, about his protection watching over us, it's wonderful to to know that Christ promises he will never leave us nor forsake us. It's equally wonderful and comforting to know that the work of the church is something that, yes, we have to be engaged in, but Jesus has promised that he will build his church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. Isn't it beautiful? At least I hope it is to to hear the words of our assurance of pardon each Sunday, to know that these things are true of us because of the blood of Jesus. When we believe in him, we don't have to face an eternal perishing. Instead, we possess, we have everlasting life. The truth of scripture is a great comfort and encouragement. But there are also many times when we read the Bible and it gives us the truth so plainly and so starkly that we would be tempted to think, couldn't you have sugarcoated that for us a little bit? The Bible doesn't do that. The Bible does not sugarcoat things. It is often bluntly realistic about life in this world. Psalm 23, which is very often read at funerals, it's, it's read around the time of a death. It's a, a beloved and very well-known psalm. The Lord is my shepherd. It never tells us that when we follow the shepherd that we will avoid pain and suffering. It tells us that the shepherd leads us to to green pastures and beside still waters. But it also tells us that when we are suffering, when we go through the valley of the shadow of death, God is with us. Many people want to bury their heads in the sand and say, wouldn't it be better if God was to walk us around the valley? So that we never have to go through the pain and the suffering. But that's not how life is. And so I love that the Bible is realistic about this. It takes us to that valley of the shadow of death. It speaks about the times when we are suffering, the times when we are in despair, the times when there is injustice going on around us and it seems as if nobody cares. The Bible speaks powerfully, clearly and truthfully about the reality of life in this world. And for that reason, it's an immensely helpful book. It's so helpful for anybody who looks at the world around them and says, surely, surely things can be better than this. And so the preacher of Ecclesiastes is in honesty mode. He's being truthful and he's going to open up to us today about some of the horrors of this life. Things that have to be faced, things that we need to be real about. And yet, 
as we work through the passage, there is hope. There is hope. And it's found in the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. If I had to give one overarching theme for my sermon, it would be this. We're all in this together. David Gibson says that this passage is about pushing us away from thinking about me to instead think about we. And so the big lesson of the preacher for us today is that we, as God's creatures, are made in his image. And so we are made to be in relationship. God has created us in such a way that we are happier and more fulfilled and more joyful when we think about other people. Of course, this is made really clear to us in the New Testament. Think about all the commands for the church in the New Testament that have the words one another in them. Well, we cannot one another each other unless there is another to one another. I made that up myself, but uh, you can try saying that three times fast later on today. We cannot one another each other unless there is another to one another. In other words, we need each other. We need the church. We need to be together. I couldn't be the church all on my own. I need you. You need me. Think about the command that Jesus said was the most important. Matthew chapter 22, a lawyer asked him a question, testing him, saying, Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbour as yourself. So it is clear for us that we should love other people. That's a command for us in the church. We need to think of others and love them. Paul even says that we should think of them better than we think of ourselves. It was this attitude of putting others first that led Jesus to the cross. And so what can we learn today from Ecclesiastes 4? Well, it's that the Bible is one book with one message. It tells one story. The gospel is on every page of scripture. And it is good news, not just for personal salvation. Of course, it is that. But the gospel is much bigger than that. The gospel is good news for all of us in this world, which is plagued by sin and its effects. And so things like loneliness, things like oppression, things like sadness and greed, all of those things are impacted by the gospel. It's going to be helpful to have your Bible open to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. I'm going to try and step us through one section at a time. And so while I've given this overarching theme, we're all in this together, I don't really have any points for us today. So I'm sure you've said it before, but you could say it again today. My sermon is pointless. The preacher begins in verses 1 to 3. He takes us to oppression. And he takes us to the human side of this. 
both the oppressed and the oppressor. We live in a world where injustice and oppression is not hard to find. So we could look through the headlines of the BBC News website and nearly every one of them would speak about oppression in some way or another. There are the grand cases of the Russian invasion of Ukraine. There are the vast numbers of people who are being trafficked around the world and being oppressed. There are those who are fleeing their own country because of oppression. And we could also look very easily and find within those grand stories that there are individuals, people with personal stories. Anyone who was able to be at the moderator's rally on, on Tuesday night past, well, you've, you've heard some of the personal stories that, that he shared about his time in Ukraine. But, you know, it's not just someone else. It's not just something that's going on out there or away over there. There are many things happening even in our own neighbourhood that we would rather not think about. Stories of abuse and neglect. Stories of one group or individual forcing their will on another. This is one of those places where the Bible is so truthful and so realistic that we might prefer it wasn't. You see what the preacher says in verses 2 and 3? Oppression and injustice are so prevalent in this world and there is no comfort, there's no comfort for the abused child or for the isolated pensioner. This is a real aspect of the world that we live in and it would be better not to know about these things. It would be better, in fact, to be dead than to know these things. In fact, it would be better never to have been born in the first place. The world is filled with sadness and sorrow. It's infected with the sin of humanity. And that goes to such an extent that the preacher says, not having life at all would be better than having to live in this place. Do you know, it gives me no pleasure to share this with you today. It really doesn't. But that's what God's word is saying. And it is this very word that many people in our world need to hear. You see, the good news of the gospel doesn't come in a vacuum. It, it doesn't just pop into people's laps. No, it comes into a world that is filled with pain. And it is filled with hurt. And we as Christians must be careful not to be glib or trite when sharing the gospel. We have to recognise that people are hurting. And that the world is not as it should be. You know this. You've been through tough times, haven't you? Jesus doesn't hide from this either. Think about those times we, we read about in the Gospels when Jesus sighs before he heals somebody. <sighs> a sigh of anguish. A, a sigh of anguish that there is sickness in the world. Think about his tears over the death of Lazarus. 
Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. He knew that was going to happen. And yet, he still wept. What was he weeping about? He's weeping over the presence of death in the world. Life in this world is tough. It's difficult. For sure, it's, it's more difficult for some people than others. Well, the preacher moves on. He wants to show us more of the sadness. More, more of the sadness that sin brings into the world. In verses 4 to 8, he takes us through envy, covetousness, and laziness. And busyness. And he shows how all of these actually lead to loneliness. Loneliness is a big theme in this chapter. And as we've seen before, the the preacher observes the world and the world hasn't changed very much in the thousands of years since. We may be living in a time where people are more connected than ever before and we carry these devices in our pockets that connect us to, to multitudes of other people and they give us access to every piece of information ever and yet our world is filled with lonely people. It's a real and genuine problem. Well, the preacher wants to say that loneliness sometimes comes out in jealousy or envy when we don't love other people for who they are, it can lead us to be envious of what they have. So let's be honest about this for a second. Have you ever, way deep down in the depths of your heart, have you ever heard something good happening to a friend and thought, why didn't that happen to me? Or have you ever heard of something bad happen to them and there isn't just a little bit of you that thinks, well, it's about time. They've had it too good for too long. Or maybe you hear something bad happening to someone else and you're wondering, how can I benefit from that? The Bible says... Jesus says, wouldn't it be better to love your neighbour rather than hate them in a heart which is filled with envy? In verse 5, the preacher moves on. Laziness. Laziness can lead to loneliness. It's a result of hating other people. Here's a man described in verse 5 who, who never lifts a finger. He can't give to charity because he has nothing to give. He doesn't work, his cupboards are bare, he can't throw a dinner party for his friends, and so he has no friends. His laziness leads to loneliness. And this goes to a point where there's nothing left for him to eat but his own flesh, and so he just wastes away. The Bible says, wouldn't it be better to work a little? And then you can have something that you can share with other people. That you can love them with. So if you think laziness is bad, then what about verses 6 to 8? Here's another lonely person, but this person is busy. Busyness can lead to loneliness. I can't say for certain, but I would imagine 
you know somebody like this. Look at verse 8. Here's a man who lives alone. He has plenty of money, plenty of land, plenty of things. He works his fingers to the bone, making more money, buying more land and more machinery. He works all day long and he's never satisfied. More, more, more. He has a grand house, plenty of empty bedrooms, a kitchen filled with the finest china, drawers filled with silver, the most expensive bean-to-cup coffee machine, a great big fridge filled with food, and yet there's only ever one plate to wash, one cup. The knife and fork sit beside the sink as lonely as the man who put them there. Maybe there's an Xbox in the living room with only one controller. Or think more grand than that, a snooker table, but he only needs one cue. He has all the stuff, but he has no one to share it with. What a lonely existence. This is not an uncommon tale. The Bible says, wouldn't it be better to share what you have with your neighbor? Stop being so busy. Take some time to interact with other people. Love other people. And so we see here that this envy and laziness and busyness, they all actually stem from a hatred of our neighbour. And they lead to loneliness. Now that doesn't mean that loneliness is always the fault of the person who is lonely. Not at all. And that's where the gospel comes in. The gospel is good news for anyone who will pay attention to it. Because here in the church, we are people who have been changed by the gospel. We are the people of God and we are to be different, the opposite from the world around us. We are to obey the the commandment of Christ to, to seek to love God and love our neighbor. We look out at the world around us and we see other people and, and what do we do? We try and walk that line. The line between being so busy that we have no time for others and being so lazy that we have nothing to share. The preacher gives us some illustration of what this looks like. Verses 9 to 12. Company is better than loneliness. If you fall on your own, Well, you have to lie there. But if you have someone with you, they can help you up. Verse 11 is a personal rebuke to me. I have to tell you that there are times when my wife's feet are like blocks of ice. But isn't it true that when two lie together, there is warmth? Unless you want to have a lonely life. Better to be together with others. Verse 12 is often read at a wedding and and there's good reason to understand it, speaking about a married couple having Christ at the centre of their relationship. But even to take verse 12 at a very plain level of meaning, if you were walking through Newry on a dark night, wouldn't you feel safer in a crowd of three than if you were on your own? 
So I, I hope we're trying to, to grasp the point that the preacher is making for us today of what God is saying to us through his word. It's a simple truth, but it's difficult to live out. We're all in this together. We need to think about me less and think about we more. This book of Ecclesiastes is all about the meaning of life. How do we find the good life? Where is happiness to be found in this world? The preacher is saying today, it's found in other people. It's not found in money. It's not found in stuff. Life is about relationships. And while we know it's ultimately about our relationship with God, which is made possible through Christ, yes and amen. But through Jesus, we in the church are made into a group of people, the body of Christ. And we are in relationship with each other. In the church, we are a family. We need each other. Life in this world is filled with sorrow and with suffering and with sickness. But that is eased. That is made easier when we in the church love one another as Christ has loved us. It's not removed, but it is made easier. And so I want you to grasp that today. This is what we've been made for. We've been made in the image of God who exists as three in one in a perfect divine relationship. And being made in God's image means we are made for relationship. So when we live out the greatest commandment, which is to love God and love your neighbour, well, then you will be more filled with joy and more satisfied than you ever thought possible. I think this is amazing. We've become accustomed, I think, to, to thinking of the commandments as something we have to follow in order to be holy or, or in some way godly or at least good. And those things are true. But what God's word is teaching us today is that not only is following God's commandments going to make us good, it makes us happy. God wants you to be happy. In a world filled with disaster and disease and disappointment, God wants you to be happy. And the route to that happiness is loving other people the same way as Christ has loved you. And so as we close, I want to give you a very concrete piece of application because there are lonely people in this room right now. So look around. Look for a person who might not expect it and resolve to do something for that person this week that shows the love that you have for them as a brother or sister in Christ. Do something. You choose. Do something for somebody else in the room that shows them how much you love them. I'm going to finish today by reading a section from Paul's letter to the Philippians. And look, God's timing is perfect. It's no coincidence that I read this passage at Amy Cartmill's funeral last week. Amy Cartmill was somebody 
who embodied this. Many of you knew Amy very well. Amy thought of other people before she thought of herself. And in doing so, she was following the example of Christ. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 3. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the very form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. And every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. Let me pray for us.